TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa DeMattis-Lapore and Ann Baldwin. And welcome again to another edition of The Connection. Anne Baldwin from Baldwin Media here with my co-host. Lisa DeMattis-Lapore, CEO from The Connection. President and CEO, baby. Correct. <laughs> I don't think I've ever talked to a president like that before, but I'm a president too, damn it. There you go. We got two presidents here. This is good. Isn't that cool? Maybe you and I should run the United States. <laughs> uh, no doubt. <laughs> Although everybody pedicures and manis for everyone, pedi manis and high heel shoes. Whether That's it. Whether they're comfortable or not, damn it, you're wearing high heels. Absolutely, shoes. four inches, nothing under four inches. Oh my God! Heels. So how you doing? I'm doing good. Good. Holidays are coming up. Holidays. You're not stressed out. I'm trying not to think about that yet. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it will be. It will be. It will be. You know, it's one of those times where a lot of pressure, right? Depending on what holidays you celebrate, but. You know, the food, the presents, the the relatives. I mean, it's it's not always happy, happy, right? No. No. I think the ideal holiday would be to get on a plane and go to an island, anything warmer than here, no cell phones, uncon- no connection. And no, just clothes, no clothes, no clothes. Just high heels. Well... <laughs> Oh, that's for another show at a different time of the night. That's what I'm doing this year. I am going to, Bill and I are getting on a plane. We're going down to um, to Florida to stay with my mother. Nice. And I'm not even putting up my Christmas decorations this year. It's the first time ever. And already I just feel so relieved. I know. Because I just took down the Halloween crap. So it's good. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's always nice to be around snow and stuff for like two hot seconds and then boom, you're over that. So good anyway, we've got a, you know, we've got a great show. Speaking of stress, um, we're going to be talking about drugs today. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good. We shouldn't say that. No. In all seriousness, uh, Charles Barber, always a great guest on this program. And he's back. He's the director of the Connecticut's uh, Connections, excuse me, the Connections Institute for Innovative Practices. And, you know, all kidding aside, you know, we started out a little light, but this is some serious stuff. I mean, we're in the midst of an opioid epidemic mm-hmm. here in Connecticut, across the country. And, you know, the connection, because you deal with so many different programs, I guess my first question is, you know, how much does drug addiction and drug abuse, you know, really kind of weave into the thread of some of those folks in the programs that you treat? It's the, um, I'll jump in and I'm sure Lisa, you you have some thoughts too, but it's it's the royal road to our programs and mm-hmm. to so, social issues. I mean, uh, poverty, racial issues, mental health, substance abuse, but substance abuse um, is the primary kind of avenue. And uh, in terms of the criminal justice population, which is a big part of the you know the groups that we serve, it's about 80, 85% have a substance abuse diagnosis. And as I sort of, you know, dove into the stats, 
um, as you look actually to the act of crime, um, it, even in the act of, of, of uh, the actual crime that ended up people in prison, they're often on substances, you mm -hmm. know, about half the time. Mm -hmm. So they're using substances while they're committing crimes. They are committing crimes to get, to get the substances. Substance, right? And they have a substance abuse disorder that's creating the problems in the first place. Exactly. And then, and then attached to that, there's always high incidences of um, abuse and neglect, trauma. So it's a multitude of issues that we see for each client. It's pretty dev they're devastating they're really devastating histories you know and it impacts the whole unit right the whole family unit like you said lisa because um you know the abuse and the neglect can come because if you're you know half out of your mind or stoned out of your mind and you've got kids you know what kind of attention are they getting so one thing leads to another leads to another leads to another right exactly and thus mm -hmm. the program so you know you got to fix the problem at the top to keep it from rolling down the hill exactly but we also do have a family approach uh, view with our clients, which I think is um, really critical. And we've been um, actively, uh, you know, for a while wrapping services around not only the client, but the family and or whoever their support network is, because we know that that's really key for when a person leaves, when they start really doing the hard work, right, was when they get back out into the community and society. So it's really key that all those things around you are also on the same page. You don't want to go back to the same old people, places, and things, which will read you, lead you back to where you came from. Right. And, you know, let me ask you too, Charles, because, you know, you work with the Institute. Is it important also to treat the whole family because you want to intervene, you know, with this other generation? So that it's not the vicious cycle of, you know, grandpa did it, dad does it, mom does it, sister does it, you know, go on and on and on. How much of a focus do you put on that at The Connection? Uh, we're hugely supportive of family involvement and in, um, in having them involved in the treatment plans, um, visiting uh, in our residential programs. Um, uh, to, you know, they're gonna, our clients are gonna go back to their families, so it only makes good common sense. And the research shows that the more you engage the family, the better people do. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And the family has to support the, the person. I know like in my situation, in my recovery, my support system was so strong. It, all, it not only helped me get through the, the recovery process, right, the, the whole thing that I went through, but it also helped me, um, it held me accountable. Mm -hmm. after the fact mm -hmm. because I saw the hurt and the shame and the destruction that was done from that and the last thing I wanted to do is everybody who supported me and believed in me to disappoint them again mm -hmm. once the head cleared right right so if you don't have that it's like what have you got to lose and we find that the more that our clients uh, who often are coming from estranged or broken families the more that they can rebuild that process and start to conceive of themselves not as a patient or an opioid abuser or as a schizophrenic, but as a father or sister, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. a mother, and really embrace that role um, and, and take on the responsibilities of that role. I used to do, I used to run a residential program for people diagnosed with mental illness, and um, I used to ask them, uh, you know, what, what worked for them. And... Uh, a lot of times we were involved in very, very specific um, psychological and pharmaceutical interventions. And uh, they, they rarely, and, and they had done them a lot of good, but they, they didn't mention that very often. They mentioned spiritual reasons. 
and they mentioned their family. Mm -hmm. And they said, I've got better uh, because um, I wanted to show my daughter. That, right. that was the classic Right, answer. having to have that. You know, yeah. and Lisa, you see a lot of this, I would imagine, too, at The Connection because of the the drug abuse and the cycle of abuse, a lot of your programs, I would assume, kind of, you know, stem from that. So, for example, you've got a foster care program. Right. You know, these kids are in foster care. Why? Because their parents are doing what? Or therapeutic foster care. These kids are born with issues because mom or dad was doing what? I'm not trying to put words in your yeah. mouth, but... I mean, it's, it's just all a, you know, a circle of that we see cycles of abuse that have gone, gone on for a really long time and, and really um, sad, very sad stories. I always, you know, um, when I hear a new case, I think I thought I heard the worst case, right, after all these years. And it's, it's, it's stunning what happens, the level of abuse and neglect and what people are exposed to. And I think, again, a lot of it is really educating yourself on the reasons why people turn to drugs and alcohol. I don't, I don't know. I think it's still missing in our society. Mm -hmm. People don't understand why, why does that happen? You don't decide one day, oh, this is, I think I'm just going to drink today and, you know, do, do this to my life. It's because other things are happening. Right, and I think that's why organizations like The Connection are so important because you folks and your programs, you get it. You know, the average Joe out there says, you know, you wouldn't be a drunk if you put down the drink. Well, for some people, they have the disease. You know, and I know other people that, you know, I've met that are addicted to drugs because, for example, heroin. You know, this guy said the first time I did it, that was the end of it. I, I, I was addicted, you know, forever. I mean, that was that's just the addiction of the drug. So, you know, it's you have to go to the professionals who get it and who also meet you where you're at and help you customize a program, a recovery program, and find you the right resources. Because it's not a cookie cutter, right? You can't use the same cookie cutter for every no, person. So how not. do you do that? How do you individualize this? What factors do you look at? Well, I just wanted to go back to um, something you said earlier, Anne, was um, it's not just, and, and Lisa, it's when you, in, in our research institute, we've been involved in some narrative work where we do interviews with our, our clients. And it's, it's not even like, you know, at 17, I fell into the wrong crowd. Right. The stories that we hear are like, my dad gave, you know, uh, did a drinking game with me at like age six. Or... Um, I, uh, you know, I was raped by my, my mother's John, um, when, uh, this is a, this is a true story. Uh, I was, uh, my, my mother was turning tricks. Uh, she wasn't around one day. Uh, John came by and raped me and my mother was mad at me because, um, she didn't get paid. So, you know, you, you hear those stories and you're like, you, the phrase that goes through my mind, and I'm sure Lisa's, is there but for the grace of God go I. And then you look at the chronic criminal and substance abuse history that a lot of the, the a lot of people we see have, and you're sort of, well, why wouldn't you after those kinds of, you know, and that's just one to, story. Who, yeah, who wants right. to face reality when you've been through some of this stuff? Yeah, it's right. really sad. Yeah, It's, you, all, right. it's devastating. You wonder how these... Um, the folk, the consumers that we see, how they're even alive and they even make it to the door, because I have to tell you that I, they're so tragic. Everyone is tragic. Mm -hmm. This is not. It, it would you'd be amazed. Right. But I think you know this is sort of part two of a show, partially about the opioid stuff, and I think 
one thing that we also see is the extraordinary resilience of our oh, clients. Yeah. And a lot of it is um, what I found, you know, having worked with people with chronic mental illness for many years is if they have hope mm -hmm. and it can be, you know, a lot of times when you think of hope, you think of like, I'm going to become a lawyer or mm -hmm. I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to run the, you know, an ambition. It can be some, just something to look forward to. Having so, your own apartment or getting a job or everybody's, you know, steps up the ladder are different, right? And things that bring them people pleasure. So, you know, I worked with a guy who had a, a very rare type of schizophrenia, catatonic schizophrenia would actually go into a catatonic frozen state if it progressed long enough. And what would we realize, because he, he lived in our program, what he, he was really into salsa music and he was really into big fat Cuban cigars. And so when he started to, he had these persecutory voices that he was going to do things or some Jesus was going to do things to him. It was, you can see the, the agony sort of on his face. And instead of saying, you know, what are the voices? Tell us about the voices. We would literally set him up in his apartment. He had a big Barco lounger, we'd turn on the salsa music, we'd get a cigar. And that brought him, I think there was probably a relaxation part with the nicotine and the ritual and all that kind of stuff. But I'm, it, it, it's kind of a funny story, but it, it, it was something that brought him true pleasure. Mm -hmm. um, and there was also a kind of a cultural identity. He happened to be Hispanic, the salsa right. music, all that kind of stuff. Right. And so what you, we hear these horrendous stories when we do our intakes, each one can be in like a Dickens novel, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. true. Um, and yet at the same time, they're here with us showing up as, as Woody Allen said, 90% of life. And um, there's extraordinary pathways of resilience and, uh, and hope. Right. And so a lot of the work is being flexible enough to engage people at the things that excite them and mm -hmm. interest them and, 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 and make them want to get out of bed in the morning. It's true. So we have every year our programs have um, client award dinners and they're really fancy. You know, st clients are, get all dressed up and staff get dressed up and they have it at a beautiful catered hall and everyone looks forward to it and every single client gets an award. And it can be from, you know, you're always positive every day or, you know, you, um, you know, attended this you know, training class or whatever. It could be some of the smallest, you know, the smallest things. You make breakfast for people or you, you know, you do this. Two very large things. You know, you received your GED, etc. And they, the clients get all dressed up and they look forward to this and they're dancing and they're having fun and they just feel so great. And I remember there's a one uh, chronically mental, a mentally ill client that we have. He's been with us for a really long time. And um, he was taking, he was at the photographer at the event. I didn't even know he was our client. I mean, I'd heard, I hear about him frequently, but you know, his appearance and he was, he takes gorgeous photos mm. and he was taking pictures at the event and other clients are doing other things there. And so I think, you know, that is what inspires him is these beautiful pictures. And we yeah. have, we have wonderful, um, folks that are talented that, are amazing cooks that they're you know they write poetry artwork and we frame a lot of the artwork too that our clients do yeah, finding your that. passion you know I want to share a story with you and you'll appreciate this uh, Lisa so I'm at work at my office in New Britain and I'm um, in the ladies room and there's this young energetic lady in there and and you know we just we got talking 
and I don't even know how it came up, but recovery came up, and and uh, and I offered to her. I said, um, I've got you know almost seven years, and she said, well, um, she goes, oh, I know how it is. She goes, I saw the connection uh, on your office door. She says, you know, um, I I'm one of their clients, and so we got to talking, and she was sharing her story, and fast forward, sure, her two children are in foster care right now, but she's so far she's held a job for three weeks, going to work every day. She was in the ladies' room putting her her makeup on. I invited her into my office and had a cup of coffee and she said I just can't tell you how grateful I am for the connection and their housing programs and all the other services that I get there because I'm getting my life on track and my next goal is to get my kids back that's great and I want them to come back to the mom that they deserve to have not the one that they had and it was just so it was so fantastic you know just that chance meeting and um so anyway, I mean, maybe we'll get her on the show sometime. She said she'd be, she'd love to. Oh, that'd be great. She'd absolutely love to. So it's just so cool when you meet people that, you know, that are in a program and at the time, at the moment, the program's working. And you talked about they have a goal. Her goal is to get her kids back and bring them back to a healthy, mm-hmm. you know, sober mom. That's that's her goal. The, the kind of classic story that I personally experienced with a guy where everything matched up in a really creative way in terms of uh, his transformation and how he was treated was uh, at, I worked at a shelter and uh, so there was a guy there uh, who had as diagnosed schizophrenia and he was delusional and basically on Wednesday he thought he was Jesus Christ on Thursday he thought he was an assistant district attorney it was an assistant district attorney and hmm. he would sort of alternate meanwhile I was living in a shelter and he was using crack and uh, he would go out every day with a kind of a briefcase, like he was sort of going out to be a lawyer and he'd you know, do his thing on the streets. So a, uh, one of the doctors um, said, you know, uh, and, and he'd asked for yellow legal pads that were around the office. Mm-hmm. And he put them in his briefcase. It was always kind of fed the delusion that right. he was a lawyer. So the doctor said, uh, you know, Steve, and we can't really afford to give you these yellow legal pads every day. Um, why don't you, you're welcome to use them, but you have to stay around, you know, the, the clinic, which is what he did. So he would sit there with his yellow legal pads and that got kind of boring. So he started going to groups and they were, you know, groups about psychoeducation, about mental illness, about substance abuse. So he heard about his mental illness. He heard about medications. He heard about, you know, getting off of substances, started taking antipsychotic. It worked very well and stopped using crack. It happened in front of your eyes. So he then gets moved to a program, um, a residential program for people with mental illness, and he's like the star star resident, you know, just doing fantastic. And he gets to work on his GED. And um, in the meantime, and it's a, you know, an address just like any other address, so he gets a note for jury duty one day. And so we're thinking... We know his history, you know, and uh, we're kind of thinking, should we intervene? Um, should we tell the, the courts? Right. And we think, and we, you know, we discussed this seriously in supervision. And we said, this is really between him and the state of, you know, the state. And so we didn't stop him. Uh, he's really presenting very well and doing very well. The medications are working very well. So he comes back. He uh, he's, gets assigned to the, the jury. And we, we see the paperwork and stuff like that. This is not a delusion, by the way. And he ends up getting to be jury captain. Wow. Yep. 
and and it goes on for some time and I have no idea what the case was about right. because he was utterly professional about wow. it. Wow. Uh, and so um, this is a case of somebody, you know, that it really the turning point was that psychiatrist saying, you know, you should um, you should you can use the yellow legal pads, but you need to stay in the shelter mm -hmm. because and the critical brilliant thing there was not you're not an assistant assistant district attorney yeah not challenging him nor endorsing them but saying we're going to kind of work with you mm -hmm. and and support you and so it's that it's that sort of uh crucible of social support medications that happen to work really well for him um when he he started sleeping and eating better because he was you know not using crack and he was around the shelter and and then a good housing program and so when that happens you know literally miracles can happen yeah and lisa you've been at the connection a long time i mean you worked your way up the ladder to the top and uh, you've seen a lot you've seen a lot of you know sad stories but you you both you know oh, allude so to the fact so oh, many success stories too, so many which is fantastic. Is fantastic you know and that's what you hope for and you know charles i you, that story reminds me of what I learned in my recovery, and that is to talk to somebody without blame or judgment. Right. And when you try to do that, it's really hard. Like even if you're having a, a conversation with your your child or your your spouse or whatever, um, you know, if you got to sit there and stop and say, okay, how am I going to approach this without blame or judgment? It can take a while, right? But if you do that, you're not blaming the problem. You're not judging the person. You're, you're more motivating that person to be successful or, or to think through what they're going through or what they're doing to you or whatever it might be. And I tell you, in my program, I've learned so many of those little nuggets in life that, that apply to everybody's life, even if you're not in recovery, which you're not. Yeah, I'm going to give you that one. Try to talk to somebody without blame or judgment. It really, really is hard. And then I taught Charles one before you got here, Lisa, today. Um, another one from my meeting says, if we all took our, I'll call it crap, but they don't call it crap. If we all took our crap and we put it in the middle of a table mm -hmm. and we had a meeting and at the end of the meeting and we found out what everybody else's crap was, you have the option. You can either take your crap back or you can take somebody else's crap. Everybody takes their own crap back. Mm -hmm. Did you ever hear that? No, <laughs> but that's, that's, it helps true. put it in perspective. It does. Doesn't it? It really does. It really does. And you know, you've got so many great programs over at The Connection, and I want to give you that website. If you're out there listening, we thank you for that. Uh, it's theconnectioninc.org, theconnectioninc.org. You're based out of Middletown, but you've got a brand new a facility down on the green in New Haven, yes, which I, I got to get a look at that. I hear it's it's fantastic, and programs all over the state, and partnering with other other departments, whether it's DEMAS, whether it's Department of Correction, um, so court many, support services, right? Court support services, you know, so many different DCF. options. DCF, so many different options for so many people out there that there's no reason not to, you know, figure it out. And I and I truly believe if you're out there listening to this program and you know somebody who who needs some help, they may not be in a, a situation where they can access it or go look for it themselves because they're not in that state of mind. That was me. If I didn't have family support, if I didn't have friends and family who went and took that step for me and did the research and then said, here's what you're doing and here's where you're going, you know, again, I don't know what the, I wouldn't be here today, I can tell you that. 
Mm. I wouldn't be here today. So help that person. Don't blame them. Don't judge them. It can be a disease. It's an addiction. It's an epidemic. We talked about that. It's an epidemic. This drug thing is an epidemic. And one time, using one time some of the stuff, if it doesn't kill you, you could be addicted for the rest of your life. That's right. Whatever that life is, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, do you think there's any hope? Do you think this is just another phase in the wave of, you know, we talked about things changing from the 60s to the 70s to, you know, 2000s to today? Well, there's always, there's always hope and help, and there is a concerted effort at the funding level, federal and state. Um, this is a tough time in Connecticut in terms of state funding. So... Um, it's not as much money as one would hope, but uh, there's there's real focus. Uh, I think probably the most, you know, or one of the critical things is for people to talk about it. Um, and peer support. Peer support. Mm -hmm. I've noticed, uh, you know, families going public, becoming advocates. I've noticed even in, in the obituaries. Uh, yeah, people, honesty. Honesty. Um, it's all within a tragic setting, but I think um, unlike earlier epidemics um there's more of a tendency in america now to talk about these things absolutely a, the stigma of you know just hiding it hiding exactly. behind it you know like for me i decided after i had a year under my belt i was ready to put a face and a voice on my recovery because if i can share my courage strength and hope with mm -hmm. people out there and i have i'm so proud to say i have then you know then we've done a service, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it's so great. And I also love to hear from people who work at agencies. You know, you cannot, you can still be effective and do what you need to do, not, have, not having suffered from this yourself. Like I, when I went into recovery, I'm like, if I had a counselor who wasn't in recovery, I'm like, well, what do you know about what I've got? You know, I didn't believe it. But you guys study it and you have the resources and you come together and you you have the people that are trained, you know, for positive outcomes. Because if you don't get That's outcomes, right. if you don't get positive outcomes, you talk about not getting much money. I mean, these things don't just go unstudied, right? Right. I mean, you're at the you're at the institute. You're 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 crunching those numbers. Mm -hmm. You're one of those unusual guys that crunches numbers that's really good on the radio, though. <laughs> I got to give you that. I kind of get other people to crunch the numbers. <laughs> you do. Yeah. You're the boss. <laughs> You're the boss. So it's really interesting, and I agree. I think people just have to, um, you know, first of all, you got to want it, though. You got to want it. I know with alcohol, mm -hmm. that's what they say. You have to want it. And you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. So once you want it, there are resources out there. And again, if you know anybody, and if the connection doesn't have a program that fits somebody's particular need, you have so many strategic alliances across the state that there's yeah. no reason not to make the call. It's true. We, we do. We also, uh, if you go on our website, there's an information right. link and we get email and we always, um, Beth and I get that, uh, Beth, Connor and I, and we always respond and send it to the right person in the agency. If we don't have the answer, someone always does. We have so many resources and expertise at our fingertips. So we, we shoot that off to make sure that people are, you know, responded to and directed the correct way. Yes, they're there to help. Well, Charles Barber, I want to thank you again for you. for being on the program. Lisa, it's always nice to see nice you. Nice to see you too. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. <laughs> Merry to Christmas. Everyone. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. holidays. That's right. We've got to be politically correct. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. That's true too. All right. So we didn't make anybody mad this time. That's good. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to this edition of The Connection right here on WTIC AM 1080. We'll see you back here again. Same time, same place. Some.
TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.